We welcome you to Bible class this morning, and we welcome our KFUO listening audience as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians. And today we begin at chapter 6, verse 1. Now, some introductory remarks here. Paul is now embarking uh, on answering questions that have been brought to him. Now, if you recall, we talked about how the letter was based on, first of all, the report of divisions in the church, but then second of all, a letter that he had received. And the letter contained certain questions to him. And one of those uh, we deal with today because um, what's being dealt with is Christian is taking another Christian to court over legal matters. Now, this is very disturbing to Paul. In other words, within the congregation, Christian is suing Christian. We probably don't think much of that because we live in a very litigious uh, society. Uh, lawsuits run rampant. Uh, you constantly hear of lawsuits um, between people against the government. Uh, you've probably heard many a person say, I'll sue. And maybe you've said it yourself. But it comes very natural to us. We live in that kind of culture and society. And so we're very used to it. Paul is going to challenge us today to think very differently. And where we our mindset begins is always with the word rights. I have rights. Well, let's see what Paul says about this very issue, um, which you might think was just a Corinthian problem but we face the same thing. The other thing you need to know about, within the Corinthian congregation, we get some hints from time to time that there is a problem between the wealthy members of the congregation and the very poor members of the congregation. We will see it here. We will also see it probably in the discussion concerning the celebration of the Lord's Supper. 
you need to know that in this culture in Corinth, there was a tremendous bias in the courts. Courts usually decided for the wealthy, not for the poor. They usually decided for the wealthy, not the poor. So that has to be factored in here, too. Now, many of the English translations tone down the first verse. But what it actually says is, how dare some of you who have a matter um, against another, bring it to court to the unrighteous and not to the saints. How dare you? Those are Paul's words. He sees no justification for a Christian who has an issue with another Christian going to a court of law who has, and the judge is an unbelieving, unrighteous person, and not simply take the matter to the saints and let them decide. He has a real issue with going to the civil courts instead of fellow Christians deciding these matters themselves. The next verse says, Do you not know the saints will judge the world? Now, he's referring to the fact that when Christ comes again, he calls his people kings and priests. And what he's actually implying here is Christians are with Christ judging. They judge the world. It's a very um, surprising statement. We are called kings and priests, now we're called the judges. If we're going to judge the world, can't we judge matters between ourselves? And if the world is judged by us, is there none worthy to judge little matters. In other words, if we're going to judge the world within the Christian congregation, if there's a dispute between two Christians, and it's not just the congregation, it's, it's Christians. Isn't there anybody worthy within the congregation to judge in these little matters? And what he considers little matters is 
earthly matters. Do you not know that we will judge angels, let alone worldly matters? Worldly matters, or matters belonging to this life. Okay? This life. Therefore, if you have a legal matter of this earthly life, do you set it before those who are despised in the church? Now, what are the despised? He's not casting aspersions on judges. That's not his intent. But his, he is saying they hold no standing in the church if they're unbelievers. They hold no standing in the church if they are unbelievers. Okay? Um, it, it's very... And then he says uh, something else. He started with, how dare you? Now he says, I say this to your shame. Okay? Shame on you. Shame on you for taking legal, legal matters between Christians and putting them before an unrighteous, unbelieving judge and not deciding these things among yourselves. Isn't there anyone worthy within the congregation to make these judgments? Okay? To make these judgments. Um, isn't there one, is there no one wise who is able to discern between or in the midst of the person and his brother. Okay. Is there no one wise enough to make that judgment in the church? Now, what Paul is particularly worried about here is what kind of witness does it give to the world and to unbelievers when one Christian sues another Christian in the congregation. What is the witness to the world of this kind of behavior? That's of concern to Paul. That's of concern to Paul. Because uh, it is a witness, a bad witness to everybody outside the church. It's even a bad witness to people within the church. I mean, if, if we found out in the church and it was pretty much public knowledge that one person was suing another person, that would disturb us within the church. But that's what was going on. That's what was going on. Um, so, you know, we're, we're faced here 
with a problem that was directly in Corinth, but is also with us. But brother, then he says, but brother goes against brother uh, to court, and that before unbelievers. Okay? Unbelievers are deciding between the two Christians. All right? Now, the context here is, if you'll recall, in the previous chapter, Paul dealt with the whole matter of excommunication. And that was certainly an internal matter in the church that the church decided. Now he's going a step farther. And he's actually saying that if there are civil kinds of disputes within the church, there should be, they should be resolved within the church. He's just extending that to farther. Then he says, for this to happen, he calls it a defeat. A defeat. In other words, it's a defeat to the witness of the church. It's a defeat to their personal faith. Okay? That they would do this. And then he begins a series of questions that kind of rattle us. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be robbed or defrauded? Now, those are questions that 21st century people don't ask. And I'm back to the word rights. It's my right. It's my right. But Paul says, why not suffer injustice rather than give a bad witness to the world. And we hearken back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. That's radical to us. That is totally radical to us that we would suffer injustice rather than go to court against another Christian to before an unbelieving judge. Okay? That's radical. And it kind of shakes us because of the, the whole matter in our society that we are quick to go to court. How many frivolous lawsuits are filed, you know, 
but we're quick to go to court. Paul is saying, why not suffer injustice rather than, rather than give a bad witness to Christ and the church? Why not take the loss? Now, I can tell by the look on your face, faces, that is he nuts? Okay, is he crazy? Okay, but that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Now, let me go a step further. There are certainly Christian judges. And the scriptures do not say you can't be a judge or a member of a jury. Doesn't say that. Those are valid vocations. Okay? So it's not casting aspersions on them. But the fact is, it's a civil authority. You can freely serve on a jury, you can freely be a judge as a Christian. Not talking about that. It's talking about the witness that is given when one Christian sues another. So, the question quickly becomes, well, let's read verse 8 and then we'll, we'll do that. That closes it out. But you yourself wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Okay? What kind of lawsuit can a Christian be a part of? Luther wrote concerning the turn your other cheek that a person is to turn the other cheek even though those do him wrong. But, when is it proper for a Christian to be a part of a lawsuit? And I'm going to give you two examples. It would be correct and proper if the church or an individual was a part of a lawsuit to keep the church or a person from being able to preach the gospel. In other words, the kingdom of the left versus the kingdom of the right. It would be proper for a Christian to be a part of that. It would be proper for a Christian to be a part of a legal action to prevent abortion on demand. Okay? But do you get the difference? It's not your rights. It's the churches. See, we have no rights. There's no such thing as rights. You stand before God and say, I want my rights. Only if you want to go to hell. Fast. 
okay? We have no rights. We have blessings, okay? We have blessings that are all given by God. Now, I'm not saying that all these decisions are going to be easy to handle. But we're sketching the broad parameters here. And uh, to, to put in proper perspective this aspect of life, that, you know, we should not be thinking of things from the rear view of my rights. Paul is calling us to look at this, and the way to look at it is, I'm a Christian, a representative of Christ in this world. How will what I do be either a positive or a negative witness to Jesus Christ? That's what Paul is trying to get us to think about, to think about. So I'm going to open the floor to discussion, okay, after that little lesson. Yeah, Jim? Yes. Well, and that, that's, that's the natural question. Um, here's the motivational question. Are you doing it for vengeance? If you are, it's wrong. If you're doing it for vengeance, it's the wrong motive. And that's what motivates lots of lawsuits. And Paul may say to you, take the loss, depending on the circumstances. As I say, these are not easy questions. You can only paint parameters, and then each Christian is going to have to weigh what situation they're in, okay? And as I say, what's the witness? What's the motivation? Okay, those are key questions. Yeah, Ruth? Yeah. Or okay, Ruth's question is, um, she gives two examples. A car company that is putting out vehicles that are dangerous and killing people. Or a hospital that has practices that are ending in um, injury or death to their patients. 
um, it seems to me that those would be justified, okay? Because you're fighting for others, not yourself, others. You are applying your Christian love to others, okay? So those could be valid. Yes, ma'am. That is correct. Those who have filed these lawsuits, and probably the reason Paul is being so hard on them is they were probably the wealthy people suing the poor people, and now the poor people are worse off because of what they did. You are wronging and defrauding your own kind. Okay? Your own kind. Yes? Okay, the question is, two Christians. One Christian uh, is responsible for an accident. Okay? An accident. And is, is criminally liable. Against, and the, and the people that were hurt are also Christians. But the person who was responsible for the accident won't pay and has to be sued to pay. All right. Here's what I'd say to you if I were the pastor. And that's easy. Because I'm not. Okay? If I knew that was happening in my congregation... I would meet with both parties and I would tell the Christian responsible for the accident, it is your Christian responsibility to take care of this. It is your Christian responsibility to take care of this. If he refuses, then the family that's going to sue has to make a decision. We're going to take the loss or we're going to sue. I would not condemn them if they sued. But they could choose to take the loss. Yes. Yes. There's, there's, if I had to list one of the instruments on, of Satan on earth, insurance companies would be one of them. <laughs> now, sometimes secular authorities actually put us in a position 
of having to sin. Of having to sin. And then we got some real hard decisions to make. Well, that's, that's, that takes to the next step. If you have this accident and one, one, um, one person is obviously liable um, and they refuse to pay, and let's say the other Christian has to sue, um, does that person who is responsible and refuses to sue now to be under church discipline. Well, church discipline has to be defined by you are in absolute violation of a commandment of God and you refuse to obey or repent of not doing it. That'd be a tough call. I'd certainly discuss it with the elders. You gotta give these things time. You know, sometimes a pastor talks to people and they're stubborn and they say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But two weeks later they come back and say, well, Pastor, you were right. God has a way of getting to their, their conscience. And, and in insurance companies, uh, they're not by nature evil, but by the laws and rules they make and try to enforce, as I say, they force people into sin. And it's not good. Yeah. Well, and, and see, the, the, they were both Lutherans, and uh, one said, you have to sue me to get the medical, that's the insurance company. That's the insurance company. You have to sue to get the money. So even if, you're between a rock and a hard place, okay? And as I say, there are so many circumstances and it can become so difficult. You have to do, pray, and do what you think best. But one of the questions you need to ask is how do my actions witness to the world? That has to be asked. That's what Paul is saying. That has to be asked. Okay, I knew that was gonna be a lot of fun. Let's try to cover one more section. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
All right. Now, notice he says unrighteous, that is, unbeliever. Do not deceive yourselves. Not the fornicator, nor the idolater, nor the adulterer, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor the thief, nor the covetous, nor the drunkard, nor the reviler or abuser, nor the robber or extortioner will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's, uh, one more verse. Those were some of you. In other words, he's telling the Corinthians, some of you were sinning this way before you came to Christ. Now, there's one thing I want to say from the outset. People always struggle with sin. Just because you fall into one of these sins does not mean you have no hope of heaven. What is talking about, is being talked about here, is habitual, unrepentant sin. Habitual, unrepentant sin. Now, the first part of the list has to do with sexual sins, and then in the middle of it is idolatry. Why is that? And for that, we have to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God made it very clear that he was the husband and Israel was the bride. So, in the Old Testament prophets, idolatry is also called adultery when the children of Israel went after other gods besides God alone. God calls it idolatry and adultery. And so it is listed here in the midst of this. He's making it very clear. He's also making another thing very clear when he says, don't deceive yourselves. What he's warning the people about is, Corinth was a terribly, terribly sinful city. Terribly. What he's warning them of, if you're a Christian, and you continue to associate with people who practice this kind of life, you are putting your Christian faith in jeopardy. The old adage, birds of a feather flock together. If you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Okay? All those old adages don't associate 
with unrighteous people who are doing these things habitually and without repentance. That's his warning. His warning. He's telling them, however, that um, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he talks about them. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. In other words, they're different. They are different. They've been washed. Okay? Naturally, it is a reference to baptism. They have been washed. When you are baptized, now, now what we're leading up to is, I'll, I'll tell you what we're leading up to. We're leading up to a section that deals with not just the soul of the Christian, but the body. You see, Christianity was different. The pagan religions and all the philosophies taught that the body was evil. And that it would be disposed of. Christianity is the only, the only religion that teaches the resurrection of the body. Therefore, the body is precious to God, not just your soul or spirit, your whole being. When you are washed, the implication is your body is washed as well as your soul, okay? So you were washed. Jesus said, if I have washed your feet, you are clean. He was speaking of a part of the body because God is going to raise the body as well as the soul. So you were washed. You were sanctified. That is, you were made holy. Actually, it's you were declared holy. You're not holy until you get to heaven. But you were declared holy. Okay? Declared holy. You are sanctified. In other words, the word holy means called to be different. You are people who have been called to be different than the rest of the world. So you have been washed, 
You have been called to be different than the rest of the world. You are called to be like God. And you were justified. That is, you were declared right with God. Not on the outs with God, not enemies of God. You are right with God. And notice how he says, this has all been done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Only because of Christ is there a washing, is there sanctification, is there justification. That's what makes them different from the unrighteous. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Okay? Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has worked this in you. So you are different. Yes, maybe you fall into a sin that was just listed, but you're different. You know it's sin, you repent of your sin, and you seek God's forgiveness. It's the heart. Okay? It's the heart that makes the difference. These first verses are a description of a person who is guided, directed, motivated by self and the sinful self. Verse 11 is a description of the person who has been Jesus Christ is their Savior. And it is Christ, not them. The first one is a description of what they're doing based on them. This is based on the fact you were washed. You didn't wash yourself. You were washed. You're san you were sanctified. You didn't sanctify yourself, but... Jesus and the Spirit sanctified you. You didn't justify yourself. You were justified. This is the action of God upon you. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Yes, Steve. That's a very good point. Steve said it's, it's many of the things listed in that first list are actually promoted in our society today. They're promoted. The society tells us they're okay. Huh? Natural. Well, they are natural to the sinful nature. They are very natural, but not of God. Not of God. All right, now I want to tell you something about next week, so you all know. The last part of chapter six and all of chapter seven deals pretty explicitly 
with things like fornication, prostitution, the marital relationship between a husband and wife. So if you bring your children, you're going to have a lot of questions to answer when class is over. Paul de deals with it very head-on, and that's what we'll do. But just know that's coming, and we probably can't finish it in just one week. It'll take two. But that's what chapter, the end of chapter 6 and chapter 7 are about, are about, and I don't want anybody to be surprised, okay? This will be an adult conversation, all right? Okay, any final thoughts or questions? None? Mark? He pointed out that Yes. That is right. Uh, Mark said, not only are they promoted, sometimes laws are being passed to protect them. That is correct. That is correct. In other words, laws that defend sin, okay? And we have to be aware of that. <laughs> Don't we all? Steve says he watches this on TV and he doesn't like what they do, but he sure likes the show. <laughs> I know what you mean, but, but that, that happens. Who here hasn't experienced that? They don't like, you condemn what they say and do, but it's still entertaining, okay? That's our sin, okay? That's Satan's sinner in front of the TV, okay? All right. We'll see you next week. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.